You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast, everyone. This is Dan Darling. I'm so glad you are joining me today. Uh, I have enjoyed the feedback that y'all have given me from listening to some of our latest conversations uh, in the last few weeks. We have talked to Michael W. Smith, and we've talked to former Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam. And if you are interested in those, you can go back and find those in the archives, however you listen to podcasts. Uh, If you like The Way Home, I would love uh, to hear from you. If you want to go to my website, danieldarling.com, and contact me with feedback, or if you want to write a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you listen. If you do write a review, contact me through my website, danieldarling.com, and I will send you a free copy of my book, Away With Words, a free signed copy. Well, today we have a special podcast in store for you. Uh, I know all of you, uh, if you're like me, have been in, in some ways glued to the news, watching really with horror the tragedy unfolding in uh, Afghanistan as uh, Kabul, the main city there, fell to the Taliban and the really uh, debacle in terms of the United States pulling out troops and trying to get Americans rescued and trying to get uh, service people who uh, – uh, help Americans helped us fight alongside uh, and, and defeat terrorism to help helping to evacuate them and get them rescued and just what life is going to be like for women and children and, and so many people under the Taliban. It's it's uh, very, very um, tragic. One of the things that we are most concerned about is the plight of the, the church in Afghanistan. Many people are going to flee as they should, but there are believers in Afghanistan who feel committed to staying, to staying and reaching their communities for Christ, they're going to be under incredible uh, persecution and duress. And I wanted to talk to someone who really knows uh, what this is about, understands this. My friend Todd Nettleton, who is the voice of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, he's the author of uh, several books. I wanted to have him come and talk to me just about the church in Afghanistan, how to think about the persecuted church, and not just there, but also in Iran and places like China, uh, uh, places like um, uh, Nigeria and other places where Christians are really persecuted for their faith. Uh, Todd appeared with me on a special webinar I did uh, this last week, and I thought I would bring that to you because the content was so good. He really knows about the persecuted church and really brought it to light. What we as Americans can do as people in the West, how we can pray, how we can act, really the importance of us remembering our brothers and sisters overseas. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is a great ministry. They have incredible resources. Uh, We get their magazine every month and we read it cover to cover. There's a 40-day devotional that Todd wrote that my wife is reading right now that is really great and has stories of uh, persecuted believers. They also have some resources for kids if you want to help your kids understand this as well. So I think this is going to be a really important conversation. Also, we have some resources uh, about Afghanistan. I wrote a prayer for uh, the Good Book Company who published my book, The Dignity Revolution. I wrote a prayer for Afghanistan on their blog, and we'll have links to that in the show notes. If you just need a way to pray for the country, for the people of Afghanistan, if you want to lead your church in prayer, uh, this might be helpful to you. Uh, we will have a link in the website, in the podcast show notes that you can find. Uh, also, they have graciously decided to mark down uh, the Dignity Revolution, which really talks about how we should feel and think about vulnerable people. Uh, they've reduced the price of that to 50% off, so you can go to the Good Book Company website and uh, order that if you would like to read up more on that. But I would love to just get to our conversation now with uh, Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs as we talk about the persecuted church. We are 
delighted today to have uh, my friend Todd Nettleton, who is, you know, as the voice of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and he's the author of several books, including uh, his latest book, which really is a 40-day devotional um, called When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with the Persecuted Christians. It's an excellent book. Uh, my wife is actually using this right now and reading this, uh, and we've read some of this to our children as well. Uh, voice of the Martyrs also has some really uh, other great resources to help you connect your family with the persecuted church around the world. Um, if you missed our other NRB Live at Lunch uh, series, we've had them with folks like Dallas Jenkins or Albert Muller. Um, we've had uh, uh, a couple panels on things like religious liberty and big tech and, and other issues. You can go to our YouTube page or our Facebook page and you can go listen to those. And this also will be, will be there uh, posted there as well after uh, we are finished here. But we just want to welcome all of you today and, and thank you for joining us. I know for many of us, our hearts are really heavy. We've seen the images coming out of places like uh, Afghanistan, where uh, just seeing uh, that government fall and just understanding and knowing the realities of what life uh, will be like under the Taliban uh, for so many vulnerable people, women and children, uh, and particularly the church. We, we think about uh, the plight of the persecuted church there that uh, there's already reports we're seeing that um, Taliban in places outside of Kabul, Taliban are going door to door. They're looking for people who uh, identify as Christians or Christian symbols, using technology to do that, all kinds of things that are coming out of there. And so uh, that is at the front of our minds uh, as we think about the church overseas. So, uh, Todd, as we as we begin talking here, um, I just want to ask you uh, what you are thinking as you as you see those images coming out of Afghanistan, and as you're hearing reports, undoubtedly your ministry is hearing reports about uh, the pressure and the persecution probably going to be applied to the church in Afghanistan. What can you tell us about what is going on there and how we can be praying for uh, the church overseas? Well, thank you, Dan, and thank you, NRB, for having me today. Uh, I think the overwhelming feeling I have had in, in this week watching the images from Afghanistan is just heartbreak, you know, thinking about uh, all of the people who will be under the oppression of the Taliban now, but especially our Christian brothers and sisters, you know. We don't have to wonder how the Taliban treats Christians. We don't have to wonder how Afghanistan will be under their control because we've we've seen it before. We've we've sort of seen this movie before. We know that Christians will be targeted by the Taliban, and according to their theology, uh, somebody who was born in a Muslim family and is now following Jesus Christ is an apostate and. The way you treat an apostate is you give them one opportunity to return to Islam, and if they refuse, then they're executed. So our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, and they are there. In fact, they are in every province of the country. That's what they're facing. That's what they're looking at as they see the advance of the Taliban. And yet, and I think, you know, there's some amazing stories that we'll hear in the months and years to come. Some of the Christians that we have heard from have said, yes. We know the Taliban is coming. Yes, they're going to overtake our town, our village, our city, but God has placed us here and we are choosing to stay. We are not going to run. We're not going to try to escape. God has placed us here. He will be with us even when the Taliban is here. So there is faith stories being written, being lived out right now. And, and like I say, some of those stories we won't know till eternity, uh, but the number one thing we can do is to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I don't think we can fathom what they're facing, what they're experiencing. They need our prayers. And so we just encourage people to pray for the church in Afghanistan right now. You know, uh, as we think about that, church and what you just said, it just demonstrates the incredible courage and faith of the church in Afghanistan and really the church around the world to say, we're going to stay here. The shape of our mission field has changed. The conditions here have changed, but God has called us here. And uh, we, we obviously are grieved at the Taliban taking over. We think it's really tragic. And yet, God can do some amazing work in that area. And that's what we can be praying for. One of the things I've heard a lot of folks say, uh, Todd, is that while it's probably going to be this very similar to how the Taliban ruled when they ruled 20 years ago, that uh, a significant part of the population in Afghanistan is young. 
uh, I think I've heard like 60 or 70 percent is is like under uh, is really young. And so is there a chance you think that uh, for gospel witness, for the gospel to take hold, uh, even among the young who maybe have not been used to being under the Taliban and might be more open to the message? Well, you know, one of the things that has given me hope this week, as I've watched the, you know, the same footage that everyone else has watched, people mm-hmm. grabbing onto the outside of airplanes to just get out of the country any way they can. One of the things that has given me hope is the history of the Islamic Revolution next door to Afghanistan and Iran. If you think back to 1979, the Islamic Revolution, the mullahs take over, the people running the country say, we're going to run the country according to the best Islamic principles. We're we're the best Muslims, and we're going to run our country just the way Muhammad would run it if he was here today. That's exactly what the Taliban is saying. Now, the Taliban is Sunni. The Iranian Revolution was Shia. But the Taliban is saying, we're the best Muslims. We're the ones who are doing it right. And as you mentioned, the the young people of Afghanistan, the people who have grown up under some semblance of freedom, they look at that and say, well, wait a minute, if that's what it means to be a good Muslim, I'm not sure that's something I want to pursue. I'm not sure I want to be a good Muslim if it involves, you know, abducting someone else's daughter, if it involves oppressing all of the girls and all of the women in the country. I'm not sure that's that's something I really want to, to be about. What we see today, you know, when when the Iranian revolution happened, people outside the country look on and say, you know, this this could be the death of the church. You know, how is the church going to survive? We now know 40 years later, the fastest growing church in the world is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. So that gives me hope for Afghanistan that as those young people that you talked about, as they see this face of Islam and as they see it as not something enticing, not something they want to pursue, but as something oppressive, something violent, that they will seek other options. And we know Jesus Christ is willing to answer that need. And we know there are ministries broadcasting the gospel on radio. There are ministries working on the internet. And there are believers on the ground in Afghanistan that are ready to share the gospel when that soil is ready for those seeds. Man, I'm so glad you mentioned that uh, because, you know, it's easy to just descend into despair um, and there's much over which to despair. And yet we see God working uh, in some of the most difficult areas and and see God working among his people, uh, reminding ourselves that what shakes us is not shaking heaven, that God is not surprised by any of this. Amen. Um, one of the reasons that I really appreciate Voice of the Martyrs and want, wanted to do this is because the really good work you do in keeping the stories of uh, the persecuted church front and center in our minds. Uh, As Americans who, or even anyone living in the West, it's so easy for us to sort of become absorbed into our own uh, existence and our own environment, our own troubles. I think particularly this last year of COVID has maybe made us even more insular that way. And you're constantly reminding us to think of the global church and what is going on around the world through your radio show, but through also through your resources. And I want to point out one resource uh, that you have that is really just really good. Uh, and it's called When Faith is Forbidden. It's a 40-day uh, devotional with the people of the persecuted church. My wife is actually going through this devotional right now. It's just absolutely fantastic. And I want to encourage folks to get it. And you've made a, a special offer here that for anybody who's watching this and gives a donation to Voice of the Martyrs, which I would strongly encourage, such an important ministry uh, that uh, they can get uh, this book free. And so uh, I want to encourage folks to do that. Uh, Todd, talk about the way that American Christians should really be thinking about the persecuted church. Um and, and how can we, you know, right now we're thinking really strongly about the, um, the church in Afghanistan because it's in the news, it's front and center. But four or five months from now, when there's other headlines, when, there, when we've moved on, when there's other things going on, we, we have a tendency to forget, to not see our brothers and sisters across the world. What can we be doing to constantly be reminding ourselves to pray for and to uh, work on behalf of the persecuted church? 
Well, I think, you know, I would encourage you to take advantage of the resources from the Voice of the Martyrs. Mm -hmm. You mentioned my book, uh, but we also send out a free magazine. We have Voice of the Martyrs Radio available every weekend, a half hour weekend program where oftentimes we're talking to someone who's gone through persecution. So it's not me telling their story, it's them telling their story. But the thing I would encourage people as you're thinking about persecuted Christians is to sort of wipe out of your mind the the picture of someone who is downtrodden and depressed and and just barely hanging on to their faith. Uh, One of the stories I tell in in the book, When Faith is Forbidden, and again, you can get a copy if you make a donation to VOM today. Uh, The website for that, vom.org slash forbidden, by the way. But one of the stories I tell in the book is a lady I met in China named Sister Tong. And Sister Tong had just been released after serving six months in prison because she hosted an illegal house church in her home. So the police raided the meeting. They kicked everyone else out of her home. But because she was the host, she got arrested and she went to jail for six months. And we were there just a couple of weeks after she had been released from prison. And so we sat down to interview Sister Tong. And I know you know, I'm going to come back to America. I'm going to do radio interviews. I'm going to probably write a story for the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. I need to, I need to tell Sister Tong's story. So Sister Tong, tell me about the prison. And I, you know, you're telling a story, you want to get the setting. And so tell me about the prison. And what I'm thinking is, you know, tell me how cold it was. Tell me how hard the bed was. Tell me how big the rats were. Let's, let's paint a picture for how miserable you were during this six months in prison. And my translator translated the question, and Sister Tong got what I can really only call a heavenly smile on her face. And she said something in Chinese, and my translator said, oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. And I I looked at the translator because I thought, you know, clearly we have had a disconnect here because no one would ever say prison was a wonderful time. Are you sure that you understood my question? Yes, I understood the question. Are, Are you sure she understood? Yes, she understood the question. But what Sister Tong went on to say is that during that six months that I was in prison, Jesus was so close to me. He was so real. He was right there every single day. I had such an experience of the presence of Christ. And she said, you know what else? There were some other ladies in my prison cell. And when I got there, they did not know Jesus. But they do know Jesus now because I got to be the one that introduced them to Jesus. So her definition of a wonderful time was, okay, I experienced the presence of Christ, and he gave me a ministry to do. That was a wonderful time. It didn't matter if that happened to be in a prison. It didn't matter if that was in the midst of suffering. What mattered was the presence of Christ, and he gave me a ministry to do. And that literally kind of blew my mind. It just blew my definition of what's a wonderful time out of the water. And the question I ask in the book is, okay, if if we borrowed Sister Tong's glasses, so to speak, and we looked at our lives through her eyes, what in our lives could be a wonderful time? If a Chinese prison can be a wonderful time because the presence of Christ, because he gives us the opportunity to minister for him, is it possible that sickness could be a wonderful time? Is it possible that economic hardship or unemployment could be a wonderful time? What is there in my life? What is there in your life that could be a wonderful time if we had that attitude that Sister Tong had? So one of the things I just encourage people as you're thinking about our persecuted brothers and sisters, don't picture them with a frown and a long face. Picture them experiencing the joy of the Lord and even thinking of prison as a wonderful time because of the special presence of Christ. Hmm. That's such a such a great word, and one of the things I've I've thought too about as we've watched the what's going on in Afghanistan and thinking about the realities that uh, are about to befall our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, the the church in Afghanistan uh, is um, maybe it could also besides provoking us to pray for them and to advocate for them in any way we can, uh, but also to gratitude. Right, I think at times we sort of uh, forget that the things we enjoy here in America that are imperfect, that we know uh, are, are, are far from where they need to be, but uh, things like the rule of law, things like uh, order, things like uh, freedom of religion, the fact that we can go to church every week and uh, not have our, our freedoms uh, curtailed, not get a knock on the door for being Christian. We take these for granted. 
in, in many ways. And I just wonder if this can help, you know, being up to speed about our persecuted church and praying for them maybe provokes us to gratitude here in the United States, right? It absolutely does. You know, you know, it provides so much perspective and like you say, so much thankfulness, not only for the freedoms that we enjoy, but but the faithfulness of God that, you know, God can reach even into a prison cell. He can reach into Afghanistan right now, even under Taliban control. And, you know, we may not know those stories today. Maybe we'll know those stories a year from now or 10 years from now or in eternity. But the faithfulness of God it just inspires us to, to keep going in whatever challenges we're facing. Mm. Um, I want to, I want to uh, stay kind of in that part of the world f- for a second before we move on to other uh, places where Christians are being persecuted. Um, but I want to talk both about Afghanistan, but also about Iran. Um, as, as you think of the coming days and months, um, and as you're, you're getting reports from what is going on there, I guess a couple of things I'm, I'm curious about. What are some things we can specifically pray for, for the Church of Afghanistan? What are some things we can specifically advocate for with our voices and our, and our um, you know, votes and or however we advocate here on this side, uh, you know, as much as we can with what limited power we have, how can we advocate? And then also, how, what can we do t- uh, tangibly? What, what are some tangible things we can do for the church in Afghanistan? And I want to talk a little bit again about the church in Iran. You know, right now, the biggest thing we can do for Afghanistan is pray. And everything on the ground right now is so fluid that it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone a week from now or a month from now. Uh, So the biggest thing that we can do is pray. There will be a time for delivering help. There will be a time for delivering encouragement and aid. One of the things that that we have done in Afghanistan is help to get Bibles in. And oftentimes those are not a paper Bible that you can be caught with, but a digital Bible, something that can slide into your phone. Uh, everybody has a phone, so you can carry a phone and, and nobody knows. Now, I've, I've heard some stories even this week of the Taliban looking at people's phones. They're looking for, hey, do you have Christian material on your phone? So that's certainly another thing that we can pray for. Uh, but one of the other things that we're encouraging people to pray for Afghanistan right now is for fellowship for the believers who are there. Mm. One of the challenges in Afghanistan is oftentimes a follower of Christ doesn't even tell their own family members that, that they're a believer because that could get them killed. That could get them beaten. Uh, and so many times these are believers who are, are secret believers. They are very isolated. And so one of the things that we can pray is that that they will have some kind of fellowship with another believer. And, you know, maybe that's getting together with somebody in their village. Uh, Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a FaceTime conversation. But we pray that every Afghan believer can experience fellowship with another believer, even under the Taliban, even as their country is now completely controlled and oppressed by radical Muslims. We pray for fellowship for them. And, you know, they have creative ways of doing this. I've heard of Afghan church services that are three guys driving around in a car. And if you looked, you would say, oh, there's three guys in a car. But what they're doing is they're singing praise choruses together. Maybe they're listening to a sermon or, or listening to the Bible and then discussing what they're hearing. That's a rolling church service in Afghanistan. And that gives us a little bit of a picture of, of what Afghan believers have to do to be able to meet together, to be able to gather for worship, for, for meeting together in God's word. Mm. And, and you have to imagine too, that all their neighborhoods and all of their communities are disrupted with both the new Taliban rule, but also with um, many people fleeing Afghanistan. Uh, and so there's just going to be a lot of disruption uh, in their lives. I, I want to talk about the uh, Afghanistan's neighbor, Iran, because you mentioned that earlier, but I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, we obviously, for most people, would not see Iran as a place where there's there's incredible church growth and revival happening under the kind of strict rule there. Uh, and yet that's what you've, you've mentioned there. Uh, they have a new president. And so maybe talk about the new dynamics in Iran with the new president and maybe how, uh, how the Islamic revolution there actually has helped spur on the growth of the church. Well, I had just last weekend on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, I had Dr. Mike Ansari from Heart for Iran. And 
one of the things he talked about is, is what it means under this new president. I, I always, when I talk about Iran and elections, I always like to use air quotes for elections right. because it's not like we think of elections. Uh, not everyone is allowed to run. The government very much controls who gets to run and who gets elected. But this new president of Iran, Ibrahim Raisi, is a former member of the judiciary. Uh, he was known as the Butcher of Tehran. So his human rights record is not strong uh, when you have a nickname like that. He also helped to rewrite the laws about religious minorities, including Christians. So what the Christians in Iran are expecting under the administration of Ibrahim Raisi is not just more persecution, but worse persecution. They expect more of a crackdown. And in fact, even in the weeks after the election, before he took power, there were more house church raids. There were more arrests. Mm -hmm. There were Christians who were out on bail that were told, hey, your bail has been canceled. You need to come and report to the prison. So even in the first days of his new administration, there has already been an increase in persecution. But as you mentioned, and as I mentioned earlier, the fastest growing church in Iran, or the fastest growing church in the world is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. And what has happened over the last 40 years of Islamic rule is the government is corrupt. The, the drug addiction rate is one of the highest in the world. Uh, Dr. Mike Ansari said more than 100,000 Iranians leave the country every year and don't come back because they don't want to live there anymore. And all through those 40 years, the government has said, we are the best Muslims. We are Islam. We're running the country according to Islamic principles. And so the people look at that and the natural conclusion is, well, Islam must not work. We've tried it for 40 years and look where we're at. So that is leading to an openness to the gospel. And there are many, one of the key things to get the gospel into Iran right now is satellite television. And the Voice of the Martyrs partners with several groups that are broadcasting the gospel into Iran every evening, every day, all day. The gospel is going in over satellite television. And uh, in theory, a satellite dish in Iran is illegal. You're not actually supposed to have one. But everyone has one. So it is uh, It is one of the great ways that the gospel is getting in and the church continues to grow, uh, but it is certainly not free. It's coming with a, a high price for our brothers and sisters there. Hello, friends. I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography, and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting a hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that well? Sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel. And it's so good, they brought it over to the United States. And it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. And so how this works is that even on your their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through. And it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash way home. That's canopy us slash way home c-a-n-o-p-y dot us slash way home and you can get a special discount your first 30 days free and 20 percent off of canopy for life so you want to do that go to canopy.us slash way home and check this out it's a great tool that i know you will use and and be thankful for as a parent want to talk a little bit more about Iran too, because there's a sense, I think, in which um, we in the West can be kind of dulled to some of that, that, you know, even I see even this starting to happen with the Taliban here, uh, attitudes, uh, but also with Iran that 
maybe kind of softening the edges and maybe, maybe they're not so bad and maybe it's been overblown or maybe it's, you know, maybe the, you know, I've heard people say, you know, Taliban 2.0 in Afghanistan, you know, maybe they're going to be nice to people, uh, which doesn't seem possible. Also, I think with the way we think of Iran, that sometimes we think that maybe it's not as bad as, as, as we like to think it is. So maybe just give us um, a perspective on that, you know, about just how bad it is uh, under under that kind of uh, repressive rule, I th- I think the best way to maybe illustrate that is is a conversation I had with an Iranian Christian, and uh, he lives in Iran. Him and his wife are involved in ministry there, and he told me that he and his wife had had a conversation that that I've not had with my wife, and I hope most of us haven't about what will happen if she gets arrested and is sexually assaulted in the mm-hmm. prison, because that is one of the common things that happens to Christian women who are arrested in Iran. And he said they sat down and talked together about how she would respond in that situation. Again, because for a Christian woman to be arrested, a sexual assault is a very common thing by the guards, by in the prison system as a way of shaming her, as a way of pressuring her to renounce Christianity. And so imagine a husband and a wife having to have that conversation and that gives you a little picture about, you know, is is the Iranian regime gotten nicer over the years? No, they haven't. Uh, and now with the election of this new president, I think they're even doubling down on the persecution. They're doubling down on the abuse of human rights there. Um, but we shouldn't lose sight of the evilness of this regime. But we also shouldn't lose sight of the fact that in the midst of that, God is at work, the church is growing, and people are coming to faith. Todd, uh, we also want to think about China. I think increasingly the world's attention has been put on China and their human rights abuses, you know, particularly the Uyghur Muslims, which are being uh, severely mistreated, uh, but also, you know, their their mistreatment of, of Christians. Uh, and it seems like in the last few years, there's been a tightening of the of the religious freedom uh, well they never had religious freedom but a, a a kind of cracking down on christians if you will can you explain uh what's behind that and uh, what christians are facing now uh uh in in china you know the the first part of the question what's behind that i, I think the the best answer to that is xi jinping uh, the the president of china is behind it um when he was a provincial leader his province was known as a place where Christians were heavily persecuted. And now he's the national leader, and he has brought that, uh, what he would say, management of religious affairs, he has brought that skill set to the national level. And, you know, where we used to say maybe 10 years ago, we would say, oh, yeah, in this province of China, there is intense persecution. But over here, the church is operating with without a lot of restriction, without a lot of problems. And we would say, you know, that the house church is heavily persecuted, but the registered church, look, they, they operate without any problem at all. What we see today is a, a persecution and oppression of Christians in every part of China, in every mm-hmm. single province, being directed and guided by the national government. In fact, We heard from some Chinese Christians last year that the national government actually sent out trainers to their local police force to train the local police in how to, again, manage religious affairs. But really what they mean is how to break up house church services and how to arrest Christians and and how to put them in jail, how to control them. And the local Christians said when they knew that those trainers had come to their city, they knew it was about to get worse for them. They knew the persecution was about to increase. And so that is what's happening in China. And again, it's happening all over China. It is happening to house churches. It is even happening to some registered church pastors who are maybe not towing the party line enough, not praising Xi Jinping enough. And this has gone to the level that the religious authorities are coming into churches and saying, hey, I see that you have a picture of Jesus at the front of your sanctuary. We're, we're going to take that down. We want you to put up a picture of Xi Jinping. Hey, I, I see that at the beginning of your service, you like to sing How Great Thou Art. Well, we're not going to do that anymore. We'd like you to sing some Communist Party tunes uh, at the beginning of your church service. 
hey, we see that you have this sanctuary. We want to put a camera here on the platform looking out at the audience so that we can track who comes to church every Sunday and we can see how involved or how passionate they are during the worship time. That's the kind of control that is happening in China. And naturally, our brothers and sisters are saying, wait a minute, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to come under Communist Party control. The head of the church is not Xi Jinping. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. Well, that is not a good enough answer for the communist authorities. And so pastors are being arrested, churches are being closed, uh, and the the level of technology, the facial recognition technology, means that the government can track every person. They can see where you go. They can see what you're doing. And as you think about, you know, how, how do you gather for secret worship when they're watching everywhere you are? I interviewed a Chinese pastor last year, and he said one of the things he's done is he's challenged the men, particularly in his church. He said, I've challenged the men in my church. Listen, the government is watching us. They're, they're probably watching even in your home. Make sure they see the gospel lived out. Make sure they see what true faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Let's live in such a way so that we know they're watching. Let's make sure they're seeing a good testimony for the gospel. Uh, but the level of control, the level of oppression is, is something we haven't seen, many are saying, since the Cultural Revolution in China. Well, and of course they have, yeah, the, the technological tools now to be able to track and monitor folks. You know, you think of the, the idea of the social credit score that they have that uh, really monitors and tracks people there in China, uh, really just, uh, you know, increasingly hard and difficult for our brothers and sisters in Christ in China. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious too, Todd, uh, that how has COVID impacted these kinds of things. And I've heard uh, a lot of folks say that the kind of extraordinary time we're in with COVID and the kind of powers that, you know, even democratic governments have had to assume to kind of stop the spread of the virus have also empowered despots and tyrants to kind of crack down more in those ways. How has this COVID season really impacted um, the persecution of believers? You know, it, it has had a negative impact in some places, and in some places in particular, I think I've heard these stories from both Pakistan and India and Bangladesh, um, where aid was given out and, and the Christians were sent to the back of the line. Oh, you're mm. a Christian? Oh, well, you get at the back of the line and, oh, sorry, we ran out of aid. We don't have any for you. So even aid that was given out during covid was used as a as a tool to persecute our Christian brothers and sisters. But we've also heard some amazing good news stories. And I think, you know, we we're just talking about China and, and the facial recognition. We heard from at least two different churches in China that, that told their members, hey, everyone's wearing masks right now. The facial recognition cameras don't work mm. as good when you're all wearing masks. So let's go out and let's be bold. We we can actually witness on the streets right now because everyone's wearing masks and they, and they won't be able to spot who we are. So mm. that was one good news story that came out of COVID. A second one came from some of our contacts in the Middle East, and they they do discipleship training. They they train new believers. They do outreach ministries, and their country went into complete lockdown. Uh, you weren't supposed to leave your house unless it was absolutely necessary. And their, their thinking was, well, you know, our, our ministry is just going to go on hold. We can't meet together for discipleship training. We, we can't go out and share the gospel on the streets. What are we going to do? What they found is the, the contacts they received through their Facebook page, through their internet channels, multiplied exponentially during the time of COVID. And you know, I asked one of the brothers about that, and, and we think what happened is Muslims were isolated as well. They were sitting in their homes, isolated from each other, maybe in front of a computer screen, and maybe where before, you know, you had other people in your home, you had family members around, you wouldn't want to go to a Christian website because they might say, hey, what, what are you doing? We're Muslims. You're not supposed to be on that website. But now they're isolated. They're all alone, and suddenly it's okay. Nobody's looking. I can go to that Christian website, I can send them a text message and maybe ask a little more information about Jesus Christ. So even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of a pandemic, God has used that to open doors for ministry in hostile and restricted nations. Mm. 
Todd, I want to pivot a little bit to just talking to communicators and anyone in a position of leadership. What can we do to kind of to continue to remember the persecuted church? I know uh, in November, uh, we have coming up the International Day of Prayer for uh, persecuted Christians. So maybe talk about what churches and organizations can be doing in November. And then you also have a new uh, film coming out in November uh, called uh, Sabina. So can you give us a little bit of information about that as well? Well, you know, one of the things, and in fact, my, my boss talked in our chapel service this week about the verse in the Bible that says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies. And you know, it's very interesting. And I honestly, I hadn't thought about this before. The fact that you would set those two things next to each other, so to speak, scripturally, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. And that's really what we do at the Voice of the Martyrs is, is share the testimonies of our brothers and sisters around the world. And so we would invite you as communicators to join in doing that. And maybe that means airing Voice of the Martyrs radio on your station Maybe it means helping to show some of the video materials that we have or even showing the film when the time comes on, on your television broadcast station. Uh, but that is really the thing that, that communicators can do is simply help share these stories. If you're a pastor, uh, you know, I, I like to think that, that my book is a great pastor's tool because if you need a short illustration of, of something there are 40 stories in this book that could all be turned into sermon illustrations. In fact, <laughs> that's kind of what I did in the book. So uh, these tools are available to you to help tell the stories, to help share the word of their testimonies that help us overcome. And you mentioned the International Day of Prayer. This is such an important day. The, the first thing our brothers and sisters ask us to do is to pray for them. And, and the challenging thing, I think really humbling thing for me is they're not saying, pray that we won't be persecuted anymore. Pray that our government will, will be overthrown and we'll have freedom. What they're asking us to pray is pray that we'll be faithful to Christ in spite of the suffering, in spite of the persecution that we face. So their number one request is that we pray. The International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians coming up the first Sunday in November. Uh, we do a short film every year for churches, for others to help show kind of who we're praying for. What what does a persecuted Christian look like? Who, who are the people that we're praying for? This year, that short film is an excerpt taken from the new film you mentioned, Sabina, Tortured for Christ, the Nazi Years. This is a, a prequel to Tortured for Christ, the movie that was issued in 2017. Uh, it tells the life, the, the early years of the life of Voice of the Martyrs founders, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, they were both born into Jewish families in Romania. They suffered there after coming to Christ first under the Nazis. That's the part of the story this film tells. Then under the communists, that's the part the other film tells and lived exemplary Christian lives, even under persecution, even for Richard, 14 years in prison, for Sabina, three years in prison, even under that kind of pressure and stress and persecution, they lived exemplary Christian lives as disciples of Christ. Uh, it's an amazing story. I mean, Richard's story is so inspiring um, and, and Sabina's story is so inspiring. And uh, I remember as a child learning his story and how much it really not only inspired me to pray for the persecuted church, but also uh, to really, uh, you know, follow Christ as well and to take up our cross in whatever ways God has called us to do that. And uh, I really think it's important for churches to mark out this day. I want to encourage churches or um, if you're watching, if you're a Christian organization or any other way to really help remind the Christian community here in the West about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so please use these resources and do that. I also think it's important, Todd, for, for us as families, those of us who lead families to really uh, make sure that our kids know about our brothers and sisters in, in, in the Lord around the world. Um, I've heard people say that if one part of the body is suffering, the whole part is the whole body suffering and we need to keep them in mind. And you have some really good tools uh, to help families that, uh, that uh, I think are great. And I have a few here. Um, you have these, uh, this set of books, uh, board books for, for kids that are really helpful that our kids really enjoy. There's a whole set of those. And then you have, uh, also these, these movies, uh, that are really helpful 
to show. And then uh, you have some graphic novels. And I think one of the things that what makes Voice of the Martyrs such a valuable ministry is just the way, the resources you're providing to help us keep in mind and know how to pray for uh, our brothers and sisters in the Lord overseas. How would you encourage families uh, to, to make this a priority in their family life? Well, again, I, I think, you know, like you say, this is a scriptural call. Hebrews 13, 3, remember those in prison as if you were there with them. And I think that's something that even from a young age, we can get a hold of that. Hey, if you were in prison, what would you want to have happening? You'd want to know that people were praying for you. You'd want to know that people were looking out for your family members. You'd want to know that they were sort of banging the drum and raising your case with the authorities and so forth. But the other thing that happens every time we hear a story of a persecuted Christian, and whether it's you know seeing a feature film, whether it's reading a devotional story, whether it's reading a children's book, I think every time we read one of those stories, the natural question, and this is you know, from the time we're three-year-old until we're 100, the natural question is, okay, what would I do in that person's situation? If I was in that situation, if I was in prison, if they were pointing the gun at my head, what would I do? How would I respond? That is such a great question to ask, because I think a lot of us, you know, if we're being really honest, we would say, boy, I, you know, I know what the right answer is. I, I know what I want to say that I would do. But wow, if, if there really was a gun pointed at my head, I don't know what I would do. Mm. And so that drives us to prayer. It drives us to say, Lord, you know, I know what the right answer is. I know what I want to say I would do. Help me. Give me courage. Grow my faith so that I can absolutely say I would stand strong in the gospel. The other thing it does is it drives us to the scripture and to what the scripture says about persecution. And it says a lot. It says a lot about suffering for the name of Christ. Uh, and so those natural results happen as we read these stories and we can read them to our children. I love it that you brought up those resources because you can do that in an age appropriate way. You don't have to, you know, talk about Christians being beheaded to your four-year-old. You can you can tell stories that are age appropriate and appropriate for them, but it always leads to that question. Okay, what would I do in that situation? I think as parents, we can ask our kids to think about that. We can encourage them. The other thing that we can do is, is give them heroes, uh, people to look up to, people mm -hmm. whose footsteps to follow in. And, you know, our culture will give them heroes that, that are movie stars or, or basketball players or football players. And, you know, those are all fine. But let's be sure that we're giving our kids some, some godly heroes that are showing them godly footsteps to follow in. And I think some of the resources from Voice of the Martyrs are great tools to do that. That's such a good word uh, to to present heroes to our kids that they can really pattern themselves off. There's so many, there's so many uh, bad ideas of heroes in the culture that are pressing in on them. And, and what, what great way then to introduce them to our courageous brothers and sisters uh, who are being persecuted for their faith around the world. Uh, I'm, I'm just thankful for these resources. And also just want to remind people that um, uh, you can, you can get all these things at the voice of the martyrs website. You can also get, this great book that Todd has written by giving a donation. I also want to remind you, if you're late to this conversation, if you just caught it in the middle, uh, or maybe uh, you know someone who would benefit from this and say, man, I I marked out this time to watch it, but uh, I know there's a lot of folks that couldn't make it at this time. We're going to put this, make this available on YouTube and, uh, and other places so that you can uh, go, go check it out later and uh, find out what the Lord is doing uh, with his people around the world. Todd, before we have a few minutes left, uh, before our time is finished, um, we've mentioned Afghanistan. Uh, we've talked at length about uh, the church in Afghanistan, about the church in Iran, uh, and about the church in China. Uh, I know there's other places, other hotspots around the world where uh, the church is imperiled, where there's uh, Christians are facing persecution. Are there one or two other countries that come to mind that we can be praying for as well? Let me mention two, and they're both on the continent of Africa. One is Nigeria. Uh, particularly the northern part of Nigeria, there is just ongoing violence and persecution and attacks against Christians. The second country I would mention is Eritrea. And Eritrea is a country maybe a lot of us couldn't find on a map, even, even if you spotted us Africa. Uh, 
it is a country, though, where hundreds of Christians are in prison for their faith. And I had the chance to go there many years ago. Some of the pastors that I met on that trip have now been in prison more than 17 years in the nation of Eritrea. And of, of all those hundreds of Christians, not a single one has been formally charged with a crime. Not a single one has had a trial or a lawyer or received an actual prison sentence. They simply get arrested and they disappear into the prison system in Eritrea. And, and they don't know. They don't know when they'll come out or if they'll come out. Uh, there are stories of Christians who have died from mistreatment in those prisons. And so uh, my heart is with the Eritrean people. I, I think often of some of those pastors that I met when I was there. And so every chance I get, I want to I want to spread that. I want to spread that heart for our brothers and sisters in Eritrea. And so those two countries, Nigeria and Eritrea, are two that I would certainly want people to, to be aware of. Well, we want to keep those countries at the top of our minds as well and uh, continue to pray for them. Uh, but I really want to thank uh, Todd Nettleton, my friend here uh, at Voice of the Martyrs. He's voice of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You're probably used to hearing him. If you're not listening to Voice of the Martyrs Radio, please check it out on your local radio station or check it out uh, via podcast or other ways that you get audio. Uh, also check out there, his uh, really great book, which is a 40-day devotional, uh, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with the Persecuted Christians. If you make a donation to Voice of the Martyrs, you'll get that to you free and also other resources. But really, Todd, I just want to thank you on behalf of Christian Communicators. Uh, thank you and the ministry for your faithfulness and sharing the stories of what God is doing around the world and for helping us, help the church, helping the church in the West not forget our persecuted brothers and sisters overseas. You're doing a great service and your great gift to the body of Christ. Well, thank you. I, I feel like the Lord has given me really a holy privilege to, to get to meet these heroes of the faith. And so it, it is really, it's my honor to be able to tell their stories. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at @dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash danielmdarling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.